Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I'm Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. Yeah, we're here to answer your questions. Uh, do you ever, ever ask questions while you're a developer? Are you stuck on something? Is there a concept in closure or in another language that uh, you might want us to talk about? Uh, reach out to us. Yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, one of the best ways to get a hold of us is to just go hop in the Closure Design Dash podcast channel on the Closurian Slack. Uh, we hang out there and we have great discussion. It's a great place to chat about podcast episodes too. Also, you can tweet at us at Closure Design or send us an email. Uh, at feedback at closuredesign.club. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to tackle a question that we've thought about ourselves and you might have heard. Um, if you've been in the closure uh, community or read, read up on places or um, heard it, even heard it, uh, us talk about it on the podcast, we've said that things like data-oriented or data-driven um, and how closure really is data-friendly. Data um, so that's the question we're going to talk about this week or ask ourselves uh, on behalf of you uh, is what does it mean to be data oriented? Right. Because, you know, other languages don't have data. <laughs> Closure has the corner on data. <laughs> right. Oh, I have lots of thoughts on that one. But uh, yes, I would say uh, uh, other, other, other programming languages have data. It's just locked in little cages. <laughs> nice. Closure yes. has it freely running around. So, so maybe maybe we start off with a little bit of like what, like what is the what is the main thrust of data oriented, right? Like what what do people mean when they say data oriented, as opposed to just like having data? Well, I think I think you can you can think about data oriented as you know as a as a, as as opposed to object oriented you know in in, right. in 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 java or you know another object oriented language all of your data is is it's all structured that's that's the way that you express your data that's the way that you talk about it the way that you check it the way that you interchange it all those things it's all about how it can be expressed as objects and and enclosure yes. Everything is just using the, 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 the core data types. There are no, well, I mean, you do make data types on top of that, like records and that sort of thing, but you can still talk to those records as if they were regular data, the, the, the core data types. Yeah, I would say kind of in, in that vein, the, the key idea is that we're separating out behavior and data, right? We have mm -hmm. uh, decades and decades of OO, um, momentum. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say dogma. <laughs> is is that too inflammatory? We'll just say, oh, oh dogma. Uh, yeah, you sure. should absolutely uh, marry your data and behavior as closely as possible. But the idea is represent your data in in, in a in a way that like I like to think of it as kind of like uh, XML or JSON or CSVs. Right. Like you have you ever gotten a spreadsheet where you, you open it and it's like, oh, this spreadsheet has macros. Are you sure you want to enable these macros? And you're like, what, what, what's going on? I thought I was just opening <laughs> right. up a bunch of tabular data. What the heck is all this like? What's it going to do to my computer? Right. 
because because when we send data around in the real world, we send data around. We don't send data and behavior around. So it's the idea is like we should be able to represent information in a way that's very amenable to what it is talking about. And then we're going to write functions that take that information and and use it in a useful way. Uh, we don't yeah. need to attach those functions like a spreadsheet macros, if you will. <laughs> we don't need to attach them to, to little bits of the data tree and say, oh, well, this this function uh, is is specifically intended for this little part of the tree. And it's like married there, you know, well, like a like an OO. Yeah. I mean, in OO, it's like this ta- this data is tied to this functionality. And, and and you have to use that functionality to get at the data. It's like it's it's not just uh, it's like a, it's 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 a very limiting way of 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 associating things together. You know, in, in closure, data, as we've said before, is inert. You know, data it can't harm you. It will go and it's still in your table, and it'll be patient, waiting for you to operate on it. Um, and 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 in closure, we we often will associate functionality with data via like namespace. Like, hey, here is a, you know, a cat and I have a cat namespace that has functions that operate on the cat. You know, so as a human, I can put those things together. Like my, my mental, I can understand that they're associated, but they're not bound together at the, at the language level. And so I can take the data by itself <clears throat> and hand it to anyone else and they can use all the core data structure, the core functions to operate on that data and to inspect it without having to have my specially, you know, curated functions. Yeah, yeah. So I like to think of it. I I really do like to go to the file system for some analogies here, right? If you mm-hmm. if you take a bunch of data and you write it down in let's say a CSV file, um, why should you get to say like only this executable should be able to open that CSV <laughs> file and do operations on it, right? Right. I mean, like the data is part of the commons, right? You can you can now write a variety of different programs that read the CSV file, maybe update the CSV file, read it and produce new CSV files. Of course. I mean, it would be ludicrous otherwise, right? Well, that's a data-oriented sort of thing. Um, but in OO, you define this record that has fields. You could think of that as, you know, fields in your CSV file. But now only these special things called methods can get to those. And you're encouraged very strongly to take and protect those fields, right? Protect them from the evil behavior uh, that you don't define. Protect them from the other things. And and I think it, that really kind of comes back to the story about managing state. Why, mm. why there are all these protections right. in OO about who can mess with the fields. Because like in the CSV file, you know, if you're reading in a CSV and, and you're synthesizing inf- interesting information and writing out a new file, it seems like a very straightforward thing, right? But now if, imagine you have six different concurrent programs that are all reading and writing to the same CSV file. Like the the chances they're going to get in each other's way and screw up each other's data, you know, it's are pretty good, right? Yeah. So, so that's where the data oriented can fall down if there really isn't, if they, if they can start affecting each other's state. Yeah. And I think there's, it's like, it gets back to what we talked about earlier or in a previous episode about immutability. You know, why, why is, why do close people keep talking about immutability? It's, it's one of the things that enables it to be data oriented, is that I can trust the data also and it won't be changed out from underneath me. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that like you talk about these things in isolation, but a lot of times like immutability or data oriented, but oftentimes they're, they, 
they're, they're uh, symbiotic, you know, they work with each other, they enable each other and, and enable all the productivity you get in Clojure. Yeah, so the, uh, the kind of a great idea of being data-oriented really starts to turn into a bad idea if, if things can start mutating the data out from each other out from under each other yeah, right and right. so so that's kind of where like oo goes oo is like well mutation is the way we get things done so now we have to put in all these protections to say who is allowed to mutate this and how and where and so on and so forth so so if you can't change your source data so if if you if you are in a workflow where the source data cannot get changed by you your, your only thing you can do is read in the source data and produce new data. Well, then in that case, um, now six things could all be reading this source data at once. You know, it's, it's like consuming data off of, a, uh, off of a website, right? If all of us can access a read-only API that gives us, you know, stock values, who cares if 10,000 people are pulling data and, and transforming in different ways, right? Now, now all of a sudden we can all share data so long as we can't mess each other up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think another way that, that I that feel like the data orientation of closure really um, benefits, you know, ma- makes, 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 uh, makes me more productive is that um, data is open classes are closed. Um, so if I have a piece of data, um, I can I can augment it, enrich it. I can add to it without having to create a new type. Uh, if I have something that I want to build, I can have three or four different functions work together to make that. And each one kind of contributes a part of it. And so I can incrementally construct the data uh, without having to name each of those inter- inter- intermediary steps. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So let's say you have a, a way, well, I guess maybe quick, quick sideband. So just because you're data oriented doesn't mean the concept of an entity flies out the window, right? Right. So, so the idea is that let's say we have an entity called triangle, right? We're going to, we're going to say, Hey, there's, there's this data here in, in a map or a record, but we'll say a map, it's it's all about a triangle, right? And so so how would we represent a triangle? Maybe we would represent that triangle by three coordinates, you know? So we'd have a field that's like, oh, the coordinates, and then mm-hmm. and then that field has some XY pairs. Two of course it's a 2D triangle. Why would it why would it be being 3D? <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, and so the idea is well, you could write a function that could read that data out of that map. And then it can return a new map that now has a field called area in it, where it took it took the information of kind of the most primitive information about the triangle, its its coordinate points, and now told you about the area, you know, and it enriched that triangle structure and gave you a new triangle structure as area. Maybe the original author, you know, in O language didn't anticipate your need for area. And uh, it didn't find it useful to write that method, but but we don't need to care. We now have this new triangle, or another one that gives us you know perimeter or, or circumference. Right. right? And so in, in in OO, you'd have to have you know triangle and triangle with circumference, or triangle with area, or you'd have to have like an area a base class that you know that you mixed in. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you that you can deal with this problem. I think it's, I think it might be called the expression yeah. problem. 
Um, but but you don't have to deal with it in enclosure because every every new level of data can have its own set of functions. But the the functions are 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 there to help you, not to ha- not to, to limit you. Yeah, and so the kind of the openness of this is very amenable than more for generic programming. So like in this triangle case, so we have this data structure that maybe we intended for triangles and maybe we define this this uh, triangle by its coordinate points, like its its uh, vertex points. Right. Well, so so let's say, you know, we have a, a field, it's called like vert vertices and it's just a list of xy points. Well, Nothing would stop us then from saying, oh, this is a useful representation. What if we wrote a <laughs> function that can just traverse that list and it can calculate the, uh, you know, the the um, perimeter? Well, hey, if we have more vertices in there, it could calculate the perimeter too. So now you could write a generic function that would work on a list of three points or four points or five points or six points, you know, and calculate the perimeter of that. It wouldn't necessarily need to know it's a triangle. So the idea is these functions can just really opt in to the part of the data they know how to work with. And they don't they don't have to know, you know, what type it is per se, right? Yeah. Like it's like if the data matches this shape, it fits in this this slot. This function knows how to deal with it. Yeah, actually, absolutely. I think that that gets into a really key point is that you know in OO you you deal with name based typing, and I think in in data driven or data oriented programming you deal with shape based. Like it's kind of like duck typing, but but I think it's more useful because it's 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 definitely a lot a lot easier to match um, and you you basically is if the data is shaped this certain way then I can operate on it and 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 so it makes your function it protects your function from uh, from a data structure that has you know a thousand fields in it that you don't that it doesn't care about it can just it just has to focus on the ones that it, that, it, that it can handle that it needs to, to function or needs to uh, to operate um, and it really works well for things like um, like API versioning. Um, like if you have an API that at 1.0 has, you know, you get this, you know, slash person and it's got 10 fields in it. And then it, version 1.1 has, you get slash API or slash person and you get 12 fields in it. Well, they added two fields. Well, in in an object-oriented pr- language, you'd have to, you have to take that data and put it into a class. Well, now your class has, you know, you, you have 10 field, 12 fields going into a 10 field class. Um, and so you have to you have to make two different versions of that class. But in, with with data, you know the, the the map can handle as many as many dimensions as you want. And so you don't have to, you know, uh, continually name every collection of attributes. Yeah, and so one of the one of the um, I, maybe I should say criticisms or concerns. Maybe concerns is a better one. of the concerns that comes up in these data-oriented languages that aren't type-oriented is like safety. And and it's just like, how, yeah. how do I make sure all my functions are, you know, taking the right arguments and producing the right results and so on and so forth. And and the idea is really, it's in, in, in Clojure, we want um, open systems and so we want safety mechanisms that are compatible with open systems Mm. so like for example in spec i can say this function expects these three fields to exist 
right? And maybe even maybe even be have these kinds of values. And and then it's going to be okay. It's going to produce a result, right? And because we have generic operations like a soch, a soch doesn't say, "Oh, it has to be of this type and then I know how to deal with it." A soch says, <laughs> "Hey, so long as it so long as it follows map semantics, I I know how to add data in." Yeah, you know? absolutely. Or, or just so, so long as it follows map semantics, I know how to take fields out. I don't need to know all the fields in the map in order to be able to set a field or add a field or remove a field. And so so you, you have open safety systems that allow each function to specify just the parts that it needs in order to work correctly, as opposed to being locked into saying, oh, I now have to understand a person or, you know, back to back to our circumference example. It's like, oh, well, I need to understand I can work with triangle and rectangle and a pentagon and hexagon and, and so on and so forth. Right. It's just like I just need a coordinates field that's a list and, and I'm good. Right. Right. That's what and leads maybe, to your 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 large inheritance trees because you're trying to re-encode the general the generalness that, that you're that you're looking for um, when when the language isn't helping you. Yeah, and so so then you can still get those safety checks, and there are static analysis tools for closure. It's yeah. it's kind of a burgeoning area recently, which is interesting because. Uh, it goes back to this whole idea of open open world programming versus closed world programming. We want to be able to iterate on a a portion of the program and and really like work with that portion. So it's going to go through some states where it's going to be it, it's breaking compatibility maybe with the rest of your program for a little while. But due to REPL driven development, you can really iterate on the small piece of code and get it where you want it to be. And then you can go, okay, now I have this new thing and I want to go fix, fix it. So static analysis tools can really help you understand like what has changed relative to the rest of the program. So now I can go and I can see what, what, uh, what has, what I've broken, you know, in the interface. Right. And help, help bring the whole world back into consistency with itself. Um, right. But you don't, yeah, yeah. The point is you don't have to be there all the time. Right. So static analysis is fundamentally a, a closed world kind of, kind of initiative. You, you, you want the whole world to agree, (laughs) right? You want to draw the fences and go, okay, everything inside this, I want to know it's good. Right. And so in closure, we want it to be able to be in open world development while we're figuring stuff out. And then we want to move into that closed world where we run all the unit tests and we run all the static analysis tools and we run all the checks, et cetera, et cetera. And the spec, turn the spec errors on and all that to go, okay, are, is, is the big world in agreement again? Did, it, did, it, did I rev it so that we're in a good place now? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's see. I think one last thing that sometimes people mean when they say, data-oriented programming, they're really referring to the property that happens in certain languages like Lisp, where it's like code is data, <laughs> right? And so oh, yeah. sometimes like like data, data-oriented programming means like macros or development. So so the idea is in Lisp, the the format of the language and in closure, closure, this is slightly less true than it is in like classic common list but the idea is 
the program is expressed as lists, and lists are a data structure in right. Lisp. Oh boy, this is hard to say all these these words. <laughs> list, lists, lists, and lists, and Lisp. <laughs> right. Okay, and and so therefore, it's very straightforward to take um, your source, treat it like a data structure, and transform it, and produce new source. Right. And so right. there's and so, there's sort of a big theory word for this uh, homo iconicity. Ah, I can't even say it. Homo iconicity. Anyway, homo iconicity. Homo yes, iconic. Homo iconicity. Yes. <laughs> but the point is, like, it it makes it very straightforward to make macros. That's why macros and lists. So sometimes it's like, oh, it's data oriented. Even the source is data oriented, and 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 that is a true statement. It is a true statement, whereas all of the power of Closure Core can now help you write macros, which just take source code as data and produce source code as data, right? Yeah. But but practically speaking, like day-to-day data-oriented is kind of what I, I tend to focus on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the whole code as data, um, it, it allows macros to, to exist and actually to be relatively straightforward. I mean, there's still a bit of a mind bend um, when you get into the quoting rules and the insertion rules and all that stuff. Um, but one of the things that I think makes like uh, the benefit of homo iconicity, oh, say it again. Oh, way uh, to go. Is yes. that homo iconicity. <laughs> be- because closure is expressed in its data structures and its data structures are simple, that makes closure simple. Like closure yeah. as a language is very simple. Like by far, like 95% of the difficulty in trying to learn and use closure is the concept and 5% is the language. I might even be overestimating on the language. <laughs> it's just such a small language, but I think because it's written its own data structure, it can't have really awkward new t- syntaxes because those don't exist in the data, you know? So I feel like that's a really good benefit that we get from homo iconicity. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so when when you say closure is simple, you mean the syntax and Correct. evaluation semantics of the language are simple. But yes, clearly closure being functional programming, it's it's unfamiliar and kind of foreign um, if you haven't done functional programming before. If you're coming from where most developers are coming from, imperative OO languages. And that is not simple. That is not a simple transition in my in my own experience. Right, and, and we were talking about multi-paradigm languages uh, last week or week before. And, and, and multi-paradigm languages, in order to support all the paradigms, they have to support more language features. And, and so Clojure doesn't have all that, all that load. So it doesn't, it doesn't it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just much simpler at its core. Anyway. Yeah, so to kind of get back to then the kind of the data-centric idea of every day, right? The key is find a good way to represent the information that you want to work with. Like in a way, in a way that feels appropriate for the subject matter. Mm-hmm, you know, if definitely. it's all if it's all about geometric shapes, Find a good way of writing down this, structuring this information that makes sense for geometric shapes. And then that, then you can even document that data structure using schemas or spec to kind of make it super clear how that information is represented. Now, you can build up all these functions 
that take that information and transform it and turn it into new versions of that information, right? Into new copies or, you know, do operations and produce new, new data. And then the beauty of that is if you find a good way of representing it, that representation tends to be pretty stable. And, and all of the stuff that changes is all the ways you work with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still find I still find ways to go and take metadata out of my photo archive, right? And find new and interesting things out of that metadata. Hey, I didn't right. take a bunch of new photos. It's the same photos I took years and years ago, right? Um, so so the way of representing the information is pretty stable. And then and then it's just about writing functions that that read in things represented that way and produce new things represented that way. Yeah, totally. And, and that's one of the reasons why lots of times when we start a new, a, a new adventure in Clojure, so to speak, um, we often think like, let's get the data first. Let's like, let's, let's figure out what we would want, how we want to represent this. Um, and then we start working on operations. And then you can kind of iterate back and forth. But usually if you start with that inert data, you can it actually becomes more stable throughout your your programming journey. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's uh it's uh, fun to kind of find out it, it like discover the data domain in a way, right? <laughs> as you as you're working it out, uh, definitely. So um, so yeah, if you have some thoughts on what it means to be data oriented in closure or data-oriented techniques, or, or what that means to you, uh, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, if you, uh, if you have an a- answer to that uh, question, or if you have any other questions, um, please reach out to us. Uh, the best place is probably on the Closure and Slack in the Closure Design Dash podcast channel. Uh, and you can also tweet at us or send us an email. Our, t- our Twitter handle is Closure Design, and uh, our email address is closure- feedback at closuredesign.club. And we have our show notes for this episode, past episodes, our big archive of past episodes, all on the web at ClosureDesign.club. Go there and check them out. All right, then. Uh, That's enough data for this week's question. We'll answer another quick question next week. Until then, thanks for listening. 